And our scripture reading this morning is from John chapter 14, verses 15 through 31. Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all the things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everybody. I feel so far away. What's wrong with these seats right here? I do shower on Sunday mornings, and I don't have a recent positive test, so this is the spray sprayer is safe. But um, so when I pray and everybody's eyes are closed, if you want to come down front, that'd be fantastic. Um, let's do that. Let's pray. Let's ask uh, the Father for His help as we do some work together. And then we'll begin. Father, we want to posture ourselves as the needy kids that we are. Uh, we just sang, we said a bunch of words, and we talked about no place I would rather be and wanting more of you. But I, just, I have to confess, just that ongoing struggle as one of your kids in my own heart. While I say there's no place I would rather be, there are about 10 other places that are on my mind. And um, I say I want more of you, but so often... Uh, Monday through Saturday, and even uh, maybe especially Sundays, my, my life shows that I want a lot more of me and what I, I want. And so we just need to confess that as your kids. And thank you that you accept us, even though we have all of those shortcomings and imperfections. You adopted us, and you're glad that we're in your family. So Father, we pray this morning as your kids that your kingdom would come increasingly here and in our hearts, that your will would be done, not our own that you would give us today our daily bread, feed our souls by your voice. 
lead us away from temptation and deliver us from evil. You know how quickly our, our feet run. Uh, incline us to forgive those who have trespassed against us in the same generous way you have forgiven us. And Father, please remind us this morning that yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory, so we can rest. We don't have a kingdom to build, we don't have power to project, and we don't have glory to hold on to. So please open our hands, humble us, and help us to rest. It's your kingdom, not ours. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, so Ben Aless preached last week in my absence, and uh, he killed it. He did a fantastic job. That was his first sermon ever, ever. So let's just give Ben a round of applause. And so Ben kept us pressing in our series through the gospel account, according to John. Our series theme all along has been Jesus is life. And last week, John led us, yeah, John, last week, Ben led us, led us into John chapter 14. That's where we'll pick up uh, today. Uh, in case we start to lose the forest for the trees, let's just kind of, let's get a sense of where we're at in the gospel. And I want to do that by showing you a picture uh, generated by one of my favorite note takers in our church family. And do we have that, guys? Do we have the picture? There it is. All right. So you laugh, but this is a really effective way to take notes. And can we just normalize this a little bit? This is an adult, not a child. Um, it is the way I would take notes. Uh, I am a stick figure person also. Um, listen, we just need to lower the bar, guys. Sometimes we think the bar, like we have this idea that the bar out here is like this high. When it's not, guys, we, we need to have a, a, humble, a humble posture. So sometimes we just, we're kind of paralyzed from taking notes because we're like, I don't know what to write. I might write the wrong things. I might miss things. You feel like you got to walk out of here with a commentary or something that you could publish as a book or a blog. Don't do that to yourself. Let's keep it simple. Let's keep Jesus the main thing. And let me show you how five pictures will do that for us, okay? Because there's John 13. We can summarize all of John 13 through those pictures. Why do we have a door? He is. They're there to celebrate the Passover, remember? So they're there to celebrate the Passover. Judas features prominently all through John 13, kind of the snake in the grass, right? He's kind of, for the first time, outed a little bit. And then uh, Jesus, there's a bowl and a towel. He washes feet. He talks about service in his family. It's an upside down family. We don't have a structure of hierarchy. Our leadership structure is upside down. It exists to serve like Jesus, right? And then we have a heart. Jesus talked about loving God and loving neighbors. And our sermon really led us to ask three questions, which are represented by those pictures. Am I clean? Am I close? And, and am I kept? And so five pictures, we can summarize all of John 13. So I'm going to give you some pictures in a moment after I give you the big idea. And I want to challenge you today, take notes without words. Can you do it? All right. But here are the words. If you want words, here you go. Here are the words. Orphaned no more, I have a home forever kept and perfectly loved by Father, Son, and Spirit. Okay, orphaned no more. I have a home forever kept and perfectly loved by Father, Son, and Spirit. And just so you know that I'm not making that up, you will find those ideas uh, first in verse 18, where Jesus says, look at these words, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not. 
I will come to you. And then down in verse 23, Judas, not Iscariot, asks a question. Jesus answers him. He says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him and we will make our home with him. Orphans no more, guys. We are, we have a home and we are forever kept and perfectly loved by Father, Son, and Spirit. So our sermon will break down uh, those three ways. First, we'll focus on orphan no more, and then we have a home, and how we are. Per- the third piece will be perfectly loved and forever kept by Father, Son, and Spirit. So, all right, pictures. What are we going to use to remember John 14? I want to encourage you to draw three houses, okay? So if you want to draw a line, so you have three sections on your paper, we need three homes. The first home needs to be a place you would not want to live. So whatever you need to do artistically to make that home look that way, it needs a sign on it. It's an orphanage, okay? This is an orphanage that we're talking about. And um, make it run down, make it dark, do what you got to do. What you need, though, next to the orphanage, you need a water tower. And you do need space on the water tower to write a few small words here. And I, I shouldn't have said the no word thing, okay? Your water tower is going to need a few words, okay? So that's the first picture, orphans no more. The second picture that you're going to need is a good home, okay? Not your forever home, I'll get to that in a minute. But a nice home, way nicer than your orphanage. And I want you to put this down by the sea. Whatever ocean you love, put it right down by the ocean because you're going to need some waves in this scene here in just a few minutes. Okay, so that'll be our second piece. Uh, I have a home. And so there's that first home coming out of the orphanage. Your third piece, you need one more home. This can be your forever home, okay? Now, just real quick caveat. Sometimes, uh, well, we love to talk about forever homes in our context, don't we? And for good reason. Sometimes, though, and I hear this, and my, my, I'm all, sometimes I go this way as a pastor. We're like, well, you know, we shouldn't be talking about forever homes because our forever home's with Jesus, and this world is not my home, and right, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Guys, listen. Your dream of a forever home is beautiful. And one of my favorite questions to ask, I do this regularly when I first meet you or when we're in a group setting is, I like to say, if you go to work tomorrow, which you won't because it's President's Day, but if you went to work tomorrow and you had a DD-214 and you could move anywhere and build any kind of home and money was no issue, where would you go and what kind of home would you live in? So for those of you non-military, DD-214, you're going to work and your boss is like, it's been real, uh, but you're, you're free now, free to go, and here's a check so, well, you don't get that with a DD-214, but like money will be no issue for you. Where are you going? What kind of home are you building? You know the re- reason we long for forever homes and why that's beautiful to us? Do you know why? It's biblical, actually, because eternity is in our hearts. God created you, and his kingdom is the forever home. It is the ultimate forever home. So we prayed the Lord's Prayer to begin And every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, which I would encourage you to pray daily, it is after all the way that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, right? When we pray, your kingdom come, what are we asking for? We are asking for the full rollout of God's forever home, his forever kingdom, where he is the perfect father. We are adopted in sons and daughters, and the culture of that family is beautiful and life-giving and desirable. So look, when you, when you dream of your forever home, keep it. It's beautiful. Just remember, it is a shadow. It is, it is a, 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 a vision of something that is even more beautiful that is in store for us as our father's kids. It's a beautiful thing. Forever home. So that'll be your third, your third home. 
But the storyline of the Bible does not begin in our forever home. Well, it did. It did begin in our forever home. And Adam and Eve, our first parents, rebelled, right? And they find themselves outside of their forever home, orphaned in a sense. And so our story will begin there this morning in the orphanage. And we see that, right? Where Jesus says in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. So implied in that is that is the sense that as rebels, we were living in orphaned existence apart from our God. But Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. 18, verse 19, yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. And in that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Orphans no more. When Paul writes about us as rebels in Ephesians, he says things like, he calls us strangers and aliens, words that would help us to wrap our heads around this orphaned existence. So in our rebellion, so, so orphans are often orphans because their parents have passed away, or perhaps they're made legally or orphans because of absentee parents or parents that have proven not to be good parents, whatever the case may be. But in our case, guys, we were orphaned not because we had a bad father or an absentee father. We essentially were orphaned because we were rebel kids who ran so far from home and so fast and so far and, and rejected, gave our father the finger and turned our back on him and ran away and we embraced this orphaned existence. And that's why Paul would use words like, you're strangers, you, 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 you're a stranger to the home that you belong in. You're a stranger to the perfect father who should be your father. You're an alien. You're an outsider looking in our orphaned existence. We're orphans. And in the incarnation, God the Father speaks as the Father, as Jesus descends to be our rescuing king. And he speaks over his rebel kids, you will no longer be orphans. I'm coming to you. And Jesus, through the incarnation, comes to us in our orphanages, if you will, breaks the door down. Because you got to understand something from the gospel. In our orphaned existence, it was actually an existence of our own making. And we were content to remain rebel kids, attempting autonomy and attempting self-rule. And, the, and Jesus breaks the door down and goes to the darkest corner of the orphanage where he finds me and he rescues me. And he brings me out and he does the work so that I can be adopted into the family. And Jesus brings me back to my father's side. No longer a stranger, no longer an alien, no longer an orphan. I will not leave you as an orphan. I will come to you. But orphans, guys. So our first home on our notes were, were orphans. We, in our rebellion, were orphans. Jesus says to us, I love these words, he says, here's our hope. He says, because I live, you will live. So as he brings us home to the Father, he says to us, I will restore your soul. Everything that is broken about you because of your existence as an orphan will be restored and reoriented around the Father. And because I live, you will live. That is your hope. But guys, an orphan existence does something to our souls. And this is why you need the water tower. 
I'm reading a book right now. It's a great book recommended to me by somebody in our family. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it's entitled This Tender Land, and it tells the story of some orphans in the 1930s who ultimately have to escape from an orphanage, and um, it was a bad place. It was an evil place, though it was Christian in name, and there were daily Bible studies and a weekly service. In fact, that dichotomy between kind of the public pronouncement of the gospel and the evil that existed in this environment scarred the souls of these orphans. And what happened right before their escape was a terrible tornado came along. And this tornado destroyed a farmhouse where really the only staff member of the orphanage, a woman, a widowed woman who cared for these kids sincerely and genuinely and actually represented God well, was killed in this tornado. And so as the children escape, one of the boys grabs a can of black paint from the storeroom climbs the water tower, here's why you need the water tower, and paints in big black letters on the water tower, God is a tornado, and then runs away. And so all through the book, the, the author is kind of unpacking uh, their, their, their hearts and their souls and their view of God in light of the very broken world that they live in. And guys, here's what we need to be aware of, because this is going to be very relevant for our conversation in John 14. Your existence as an orphan, before you were rescued by Jesus, had profound and lasting impacts on your soul. And here's part of the way that played out. There is a water tower, and on your water tower, your orphaned existence painted some letters there in your soul. God is fill in the blank. Now, I don't know what that is for you. I have my own. And sometimes those letters are painted because of the orphaned existence. And then sometimes those letters are actually reinforced or changed, but just as damaging in a gospel-less or graceless religious experience, right? And so here are these letters. And on our water towers, we have statements about the Father that are not true. God is a tornado. God is distant, God is angry, God is impersonal, God is not accessible, God does not like me, God does not love me, God does not pursue me, God is not happy I'm in my, his family, whatever it may be. And also on the flip side of the tower, if you will, are a whole bunch of statements that are not true about ourselves and the lives that we live and our souls. We oscillate between extremes where we think too much of ourselves apart from God, but honestly, probably most of the time, coming out of our orphan experience, we are, we are self-condemned with all of these too low view of ourselves, forgetting that we are created in the image of God and adopted in as sons and daughters. So when Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans, like he's getting ready to go back to the Father. He's already told them that, and he said, I'm going to come in again in the future, but don't worry. I'm not leaving you alone. Your existence before was alone and godless. I'm not doing that to you. I'm going to give you the Spirit in my absence, and here's what Jesus says about the Spirit. Verse 16, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you, what? Forever. Even Here's, so he's talking about the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, and here he refers to him as the Spirit of truth. And then he kind of explains how the gift of the Spirit is a gift for adopted sons and daughters, not for those who are outside of the family. See, he says the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him. 
because he dwells with you and he will be in you. When I rescued you from the orphanage, I gave you the spirit as a sign of your sonship, as a sign of being my, my daughter, the father says. But notice this, he says, he's the spirit of truth. Why would Jesus refer to the Holy Spirit there as the spirit of truth? Because my primary need coming out of my orphaned existence is for God the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, to be present every day, speaking true things into my heart for the very purpose of deconstructing all of my wrong views of God and wrong views of myself and wrong views of how we relate together. And the one solution for my heart, the one antidote for my faulty view of God and faulty view of self is not more self-talk and not to hear other people talk. The one antidote is silence with open ears listening to the voice of the Spirit. Who is the Spirit of truth? No, son, let me tell you who your dad is. And he tells me all of the ways in which God the Father is beautiful and kind and just and merciful and glad I'm in the family and pursuing and loving and ever keeping and ever chasing. And the Spirit speaks into your, to your soul, undoing all of the letters on your water tower. You are a deeply loved son, and you are a deeply loved daughter, and you are perfectly loved and forever kept and fully forgiven, and the Father is more committed to you than you are committed to him, and he is going to bring you all the way home. So I'm curious, for the kids in the story, their words were, God is a tornado. I'm curious, what are your words? What needs to be deconstructed in your own soul by the Spirit of God? What faulty view of God based on your orphaned existence needs to be replaced with beautiful reality, the truth of who God is? I think that's a question we need to sit with and ponder. So scene one, fam, no longer orphans. Now, you would think that would give us a whole lot of confidence, right? As we press into home two, our first home outside of the orphanage, we're like, all right, I'm adopted, I'm not an orphan, uh, this is going to be fantastic. But our second home, here's a detail I forgot to give you, your second home needs a question mark above it, because we press into this new family with a whole lot of uncertainty. We don't know the father well, we don't know the culture of his family well, we haven't really learned the gospel yet, so we're, we're like, is this a transactional family, is this conditional, is it unconditional, how does this family work? And so we press in to our Christian experience with all these questions. And just to show you that I'm not making this up, here's the uncertainty in the text. Verse 21, Jesus says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him. And I'm gonna manifest myself to a meaning I'm going to show up in very real ways. It will be obvious that he's my son or she's my daughter. I will be present in powerful, life-giving, beautiful ways. There will not be any mystery surrounding that. I will manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, poor guy, not Iscariot, says to Jesus, hey, uh, man, that's beautiful, but here's, like, here's just, I'm curious, how, how is it that you're gonna show yourself to us in this beautiful way. And it's, and it's different than, like when I was an orphan, or it's different than for those outside of the family. What exactly is that going to look like? Judas is asking the question that exists on every one of our hearts. How is the father going to respond to me now that I'm in the family? How will the son respond to me? What is the culture of this family like? So we enter in with a whole lot of uncertainty. 
why you need the waves next to the home. Here's why you need, you need some waves coming. You pick the waves. Um, uh, something that I love about our family of churches, if you're not familiar with it, the Pillar family of churches started out as a dream to plant a network of gospel-centered churches around Marine Corps communities. Did you know that? We probably don't talk about that enough. And then as God humbled us and kind of softened our hearts, we're like, this whole exclusive Marine Corps thing's kind of janky. Like we should really re, we should do it a little differently than that. Um, and yes, but that's how it started out. So when we planted first, we were at Camp Lejeune. And then we go out to Pendleton. The beauty of our family, like if you're gonna do Marine Corps church plants, like apart from 29 Palms, it's pretty much all coastal, right? And so now here we are, three beach towns basically, really suffering. Um, so you got Onslow Beach, you had Oceanside, and now we have Okinawa. Which one's your favorite? Okinawa. All right, Amina, me too. <laughs> Any Onslow people out there? What? Okay. Any Oceanside people out there? And I, I'm sorry, this is kind of Marine Corps talk. That's not fair, guys. How about Minot, North Dakota? Any Minot people out there? <laughs> there we go, baby. <laughs> all right, so if we could mash them all up, give me the sand and the waves of Oceanside, Give me kind of the rip current of Onslow and give me the overall ecosystem of Okinawa minus the jellyfish. And there is the ocean and the beach that you find in, in heaven. You're like, dude, this is super weird. Well, like, are we doing a sermon here or what? Here's why, you, here's why you need the waves. We enter into the home with this uncertainty and we ask a question just like Judas. And here's what Jesus answers in verse 23. Here, here come the waves. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And you're like, wait, 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 John. No, this is undermining everything we're saying. See, this is conditional. God's family is conditional. He just said, if I thought I was in and fully accepted and fully forgiven, and now you're saying, only if I love him, then the Father will love me, and then, and then, and then. So let's just step back for a minute, okay? We gotta step back. In the Gospels, when we read of our love for God, it is always a responsive kind of love, never an initiating kind of love. Let me just demonstrate it for you this way. In 1 John, the same author, John, writes, we love, why? All right, so who's the initiating love here? All right, Mina, dog, you're killing it. Right, God is the initiating love. God is the first wave to break, okay? The first wave to break. We receive his love. So we press into this house. We're like, man, I don't know what the culture is going to be like. We ask a question like Judas, and our father's like, let's go down to the shore for a second. All right, now, son, step into the water. And we've never been in the ocean before like I had not because I grew up in Vermont. No oceans in Vermont if you're not tracking geography. And so my first experience in the ocean, that first wave comes, right? And it slams you under. And as a kid, you're like, I'm swimming. And then 10 seconds into it, you realize you're not swimming. Like the wave has control of you and the wave is animating you. And seconds later, you come back out, you take your first full breath and you're like, that was so exhilarating. Let's do it again. And there's this little calm in between. Guys, the love in our father's family is not conditional. It's reciprocal. And here's what, I, here's what I'm trying to show to you. Jesus comes. He's already kicked the door to the orphanage down. He loved us first. So Jesus is the first wave to crash. The wave washes over us. It's exhilarating. We're somersaulting. We come back up and we breathe. <gasps> And it's life for the first time. We see with clarity and we feel and we're like, bring the next wave, baby. 
But in between is this new reoriented life. And that's what Jesus is saying. He says, if you have received my love, if that first wave has knocked you off your feet, it will be evidenced by a reoriented heart. So you will obey me. You will joyfully submit to me. You will want to exist in my world and not yours. You'll do my will and not yours, right? So it's reciprocal. And the next wave breaks. And that's what Jesus says. And the Father will love you. So we're embraced by Jesus' love. We're knocked we're knocked and we're twirling. We come back to our feet. We breathe in and the Father's love envelops us as well. And it is this new life in a new family, realizing that the Father has, listen, an initiating kind of love. It is not conditional. Jesus is simply saying, look, the primary evidence that you're in the family is that you will have a heart that has been so blown away by Jesus' love and so blown away by the Father's love that it will be evidenced by a life that's reoriented around submission to Jesus instead of submission to yourself. It'll be a joyful submission, not forced, because I've been loved so incredibly and so persistently. The waves break. I was listening to a podcast this week uh, Dr. Anthony Bradley is a professor in New York City, loves to talk about um, like masculinity and the role of fathers and the gospel and all this just so well. And he was telling a story in his podcast this week about a close friend of his who had a lawyer for a dad. And this lawyer, the father would come home from work really late. They would eat a quick family dinner at the table. And the, father, the son could never get his father's attention, just never had his father's attention. Dinner would end. Dad, you know, had a phone the whole time or whatever. Dinner would end, chores would happen. Dad would go right to his office and get right back to work. The door would be closed, the door would be locked. And Anthony talks, he tells the story, he says his friend would finish his chores and go sit outside of his dad's office. And he would write notes. And the first note would go under the door, Daddy, I missed you, I love you. We wanna play? And it would go unanswered. And so the boy would believe, if I can show my sincerity a little bit more, if I can say the right words, if I can live the right way, dad will come out of the door. So he would write, dad, I really love you. I'll always love you. You're the best dad in the world. You want to play? And the note would go unanswered. And so we draw a really big picture, big old construction paper, all kinds of words, baseball, dinosaurs, trucks, all the thing. And he'd slide that under and make as much noise as he could without getting in trouble. And he'd be greeted with silence. And finally, an angry response. I'm trying to work, son. Don't you know I have things to do? I love you. We'll play later. Guys, I don't know if it's on the water tower or not next to your orphanage, but too many of us have that relationship with God the Father. And we have come to believe that if we can write the right words and slide the right notes and get them at the right time and live the right kind of way, then he will be happy that we're in the family and then he will love us and then and then and then. That's religion and that's our culture and that's our hearts. But guys, the beauty of the gospel is this. The roles are reversed. He is the initiating one. He has blown the door wide open. We don't pass notes. He's the one that's been passing notes us all along and you have a relentlessly pursuing ever chasing father who takes the initiative with you no longer an orphan an adopted in son or daughter and you will be loved by the father
No longer orphans. I have a home. I have a home. There's some cultural realities about this new family that are unfamiliar to us that we need to learn. Our water tower needs to be deconstructed. Our posture needs to change. And here's the first example. Look at me. Look at, look at verse 16 with me. I know we've already read it, but there's just one word I want you to see in here. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. We already talked about that, how that's the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity. And then what does Jesus say? He's going to be with you what? So you see the clause after the word forever, right? You see where it says comma, he'll be with you forever, comma, if you prove to be a good son. He will be with you forever if you prove to be a good daughter. He will be with you forever if you pass the right notes under my door. He will be with you forever if you immediately repaint your water tower and immediately deconstruct and prove yourself to be an on, what are, what are all the buzzwords that we like? On fire, zealous, it's all the language we use for good Christians. Wait, I don't see any clauses there. Do you see any conditions? Do you see any conditions? I will be with you forever. Guys, The father doesn't do rental property. The father always does owner occupancy. You're not a trial run in his family. You're not a temporary piece of his family. It says that we will come to you and we will make or build our home with you. The father doesn't build temporary. He builds a forever home. He doesn't do foster care. He does adoption. You're an adopted son and an adopted daughter. And he gives you the spirit forever as a sign of your sonship. So we need to pause with that for a minute because listen, here's what we do to ourselves. We don't change quickly enough. We wrestle with the same things that we've always wrestled with. We remember the words on our water tower more than we remember the words of our Savior. It's not so much what we hold on to as much as we realize things are holding on to me. And we're like, man, the Father must be growing weary of me. There's no way he's patient with me. There's no way he's going to keep me. I'm not proving my place in his family. I'm not earning it. There's no way I'm going to keep it. There's no way. Son, I will give you my spirit forever. Daughter, I will give you a sign of your, of your place in the family forever. Period. No conditions, no commas. You know why that's really life-giving to us guys? Because as former orphans, it takes us an entire lifetime to deconstruct the words that are on our water towers. And you know what? You need to stop being in a hurry because the Father is not in a hurry with you. He's not going anywhere. He's not tapping out. He's more committed to your place in the family than you are committed to your place in the family. He's given you the spirit to patiently and persistently speak true and beautiful words into your soul to slowly and methodically deconstruct all of your faulty views of God and faulty views of yourself. And you know what? The Holy Spirit's going to be talking to you until you're in the grave. It's a lifelong deconstruction. And the father is not worried about that at all. Rest. 
you're in the family. You are a son. You are a daughter. And the Father will never give up on you. He's bringing you all the way home. All the way home. There's another piece. Look in verse 26. Another piece of the culture of our family. It's a forever family. Verse 26, I'll start in 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Yo, there are no kids in our father's family with a good memory, okay? So we just need to get over ourselves. Actually, we do have a good memory. You know what we remember? The words on the water tower. That's what we remember. You know what we forget? The true words about our father, the beautiful words, and the true words that he speaks about us as sons and daughters. So he gives us a spirit, and what's the primary role of the spirit right here? To call to our memory. Less self-talk less talk from other people, as sons and daughters of the Father. Here, we're in our third home. The word peace is written over this home. The Spirit is present. We need time silently sitting in this home with our ears open and our Father's word open, and we need to listen to the voice of our Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, because there are so many voices, many of which I generate, that keep projecting those words back up onto the tower. We need the Spirit's voice. He is the one who reminds us who our Father is and who we are. Verse 27, all right, so here's the outcome of the Spirit's work. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. So don't let your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So it's not peace like the world gives. Who owned the world that Jesus lived in at the time? Who was like kind of the, 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 the empire of the day? Who was that? The Romans. All right. So some of our classically educated people in here, of which I am not one, what was Roman peace called? What were what was the two Latin words for that? All right. Pax Romana was not very peaceful. Pax Romana was always secured at the end of a sword. It was a violently won and violently maintained oppressive kind of peace. And Jesus says, that's not how peace comes about in my family. There's something else you need to know about the culture of my family. It's a forever family. Uh, it is a forever family where you'll be forever kept and perfectly loved. And the way that perfect love shows itself is peace. And the Spirit's primary role is not only to remind you, in reminding you of what the Father says, Peace is generated. Any other attempt at peace is like Pax Romana. It's, it's, it's a violent attempt to make peace or maintain peace. I think we could just change it, Pax Romana to Pax Okinawa, kind of pretty easily interchangeable. And can we just be honest with each other for a moment? Most of us, all day long, all week long, default to our orphan ways, and we try to violently create a peace rather than waiting on the one who has been given to us to mediate that peace. And the word you need to hear in our Father's house this morning is circumstances cannot mediate peace. Only the Spirit will mediate peace for you. So we violently shuffle the deck of our circumstances. We violently shuffle the deck of our relationships. We cut things off and open things up and we project power and we, we, we violently try to create peace 
All the while, our good father says, son, daughter, come here, sit down. I have given you the spirit to mediate peace in my family. Here's how it works. You sit down, you close your mouth, you open your ears, and you listen to the spirit remind you about who I am as your dad and who you are as my son or my daughter and where our family is going. And you patiently open yourself up to the work of the spirit and allow the peace to be mediated for you. Family, listen. Any other attempt at mediating that peace is a violent attempt and doesn't last. It will not last. The spirit, not our circumstances, mediates peace. All right, one last, one last thing in our father's home. Jesus said in verse 28, you heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced. I told you I was going to the father and the father's greater than I. So this is good. I'm going back home. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. Now look at verse 30. I love this. I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He's talking about Satan. And then what does Jesus say? What does he say? How much claim? No claim. Jesus says, listen, right, let us, let us get up and go from here. So Jesus was about to go to the cross and take all of the judgment in our place. He was going to die in our place. And he says clearly, I'm doing this of my own volition and out of love for the Father. Satan has no claim on me. Guys, some of us are holding on. We have pressed out of the orphanage. And we've pressed into that second home down by the shore, but that question mark remains over our house. And we're not entirely too sure who exactly has a claim on us. And Jesus would look us in the eye and say, if I am in you and you are in me, you are in my family, the devil has no claim over you. In fact, you have no claim over yourself any longer. You're mine, son. Your mind, daughter. And that, isn't that like what R Paul wrote in Romans 8? There is nothing in this world, nothing, no height nor depth, and nothing in between that will ever what? Separate you from me, from my love, from my hand. Guys, the Father's family is a forever family. If you are a son or a daughter in the Father's family, you are going nowhere but all the way home with the Father. He has full and exclusive claim to your life. He is a proud father, a glad father, and he is a powerful father. And there is nothing that can ever separate you from his hand. You have nothing to fear. You have nothing to prove. You have nothing to earn. Jesus has earned everything in your place. He has proved everything in your place and keeps you forever. So I need to wrap it up, and I want to wrap it up with Jesus' closing words. He says... Rise, let us go from here. So we know Jesus was going to get up and walk his way to the cross, but I think those are fitting words for us. Rise, let's, you, I know you're physically going to rise up and leave here in a few moments, but your soul has got to do something in response to what you've just heard. So what do you, wh what, wh where are you and in what way do you need to get up and go from here? Let's just break it down three ways. Some of you are still in the orphanage. You know you're not yet rescued. You have yet to respond to Jesus initiating love. Why? Why? I mean, I would encourage you this morning to 
uh, to look to Jesus and to see his pursuing love on your behalf and acknowledge your rebellion and run to him as your rescuing king. No longer an orphan, not another day in the orphanage. Some of you need to get up and get out of that orphanage. Others of you, you know you're in the adopted home and those, that, that uncertainty remains. And what do you need to do? How do you need to rise? My encouragement to you would to take, Ju- take Judas's words and make them your own. Judas asked Jesus simply, Jesus, I'm in the father's family now, but I got so much uncertainty. How, how are you gonna show yourself to me today? Fam, many of us just need to stop the race that we are living sit down in some silence with open ears and a pencil and a piece of paper and an open Bible and say to our Father, to say to Jesus, I need you to show yourself to me today. You say I'm no longer an orphan, but I straight up feel like an orphan right now. Please show me yourself in beautiful life-giving ways. Third and finally, maybe the last way that some of us need to respond is, you know you've had that water tower and some of you are straight, straight up hanging on to some of the words that are written there. And it's not something that you can deconstruct on your own. It's bigger than you. It is resident in your soul. And you need somebody greater than you to deconstruct the soul-damaging narrative that exists there, lying to you about the Father and lying to you about yourself. And what is the response that we would receive or that we would be encouraged from the text? Again, It's the Spirit's role in our life to speak truth. Let's be still. Let's ask the Father to show us through the Spirit what needs to be deconstructed in our lives and then open ourselves to his reconstructing work through the gospel. Let's just admit that we can't do it. But can we do that? And ask the Spirit to humble us to receive his reconstructing work so that we will stop trying to make peace violently and start receiving the peace that the Spirit mediates for us. So Grant's going to come and lead us in response, and I will, I will pray for us as he does. Father, there are people here who know their souls are in the orphanage, and you promise us if we ask anything according to your name, according to your will, that you will hear and you will ask. And we know that it is your will that all would come to repentance, that no one would be left an orphan, And so, Father, for those orphans in the room this morning, I pray that their eyes would see the beauty of Jesus, our rescuing King, and the beauty of our forever family and the love of our forever Father. And may today be their final day in the orphanage, no longer an orphan. Father, for those of us clinging to so many uncertainties, feeling like an orphan, feeling alone, Father, send the waves of Jesus' incredible love. Send the waves of your life-changing, life-giving love. Sweep us off of our feet, twirl us around, and get us back up, breathing in the air of your life and your love. Father, please do that for those in this room who feel weary and heavy-laden and alone and crushed, forgotten, forsaken, guilt-ridden, shame overtaken. And Father, for all of us, we all have a water tower. We all have words that need to be deconstructed. Help us to sit in the silent moments, Spirit, with you. And please, we are such forgetful kids. Speak true things about our dad. Speak true things about Jesus, our older brother and rescuing king. Speak true things about us as sons and daughters. 
deconstruct the damaging water towers that exist and replace them with the beautiful words that flow from the kind and gentle and beautiful lips of our dad and Jesus, our rescuing king. And we pray this all in your name. Amen.